and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 96th episode, our guest is D.K. Hamilton. A student of human behavior, D.K. Hamilton is a nationally touring comic, entertaining audiences with his unique, smart, and sardonic takes on pop culture, race, and relationships. Named Funniest Person in Grand Rapids by Grand Rapids Magazine for two consecutive years and featured in its March 2013 issue, DK finds humor in examining the things that we secretly believe but are too polite to say out loud. Using his ability to entertain a great variety of audiences without resorting to the lowest common denominator, D.K. Hamilton was entertained at the Laugh Detroit Comedy Festival, performed in the Fox 101.3 Brew Ha Ha, competed in Cleveland Comedy Festival, performed in the Limestone Comedy Festival, and performed in Gilda's Laugh Fest, including being selected to perform twice in Laugh Fest's Best Show. D.K. Hamilton is featured in the award-winning web series, Lucky J. And now, on to the show. Hey, Rob. Hey, how's it going, man? Going well, how about you? Oh, pretty good. Yeah, I was afraid I was going to be late because I was putting the kids to bed. And, and I... Oh, no, I totally get it. <laughs> totally get it. So, yeah. But, um, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. I've wanted to have you on for a long time. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, for, for people that don't know who you are, uh, go ahead and just uh, introduce yourself. Sure. So I'm D.K. Hamilton. I'm a Midwest comedian. Uh, originally uh, performed in the West Michigan area, but recently moved to Chicago. Uh, I'm just doing stand-up. I write and uh, act a little bit. I'm in this web series called Lucky Jay. So... Yeah, awesome. And and I uh, saw you, of course, at the Limestone Comedy Festival one of the several years I went to that. And uh, you were one of the more memorable comics that I had not heard of before. Um, and uh, there's a couple of bits. Uh, I won't do your bits or whatever, but there were there were some definitely some lines that have stuck with me uh, through the years. Um, so. Well, good to know that. What you have to remind Jared. I don't think he's had me back since. So. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I've had Matt on the podcast, so. Um, I'll, I'll tap him talk to, I don't know we'll, we'll do it but um, yeah yeah so yeah I saw you at uh, I think the comedy attic is where I saw yeah, okay, where you're performing so yeah is that is that like a I mean that's a pretty intimate club and you know not every club is like that so no that's a special place that, mm-hmm. that, that place was a lot of fun and you know, among comics, we always you know, we always talk about what clubs we like and, you know, ones that aren't our favorites, but the comedy attic is certainly way, way up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But um, so when did you start doing, you know, stand-up, and, and when did you know that this was something you wanted to do in public? Oh, you know what? I, I, I wanted to do it, you know, when I first knew what it was, if that makes sense. So when I was younger... I remember in the summer, I was allowed to stay up as long as I wanted. And that was uh, the time I started watching, like, David Letterman Mm. and really fell in love with the art form at that time. And I remember coming to school and telling my my teacher I wanted to be a comedian when I grew up. And she didn't know what I was talking about. She didn't even know what a comedian was. (laughs) And I wasn't allowed to be anything that she'd never heard of. I do remember that. <laughs> so then I, uh, I started doing it for the first time uh, when I was an undergraduate student and did it for a little while. Um, ended up going to law school and, and went that path for a, a, a good while. So I came back and started uh, coming to comedy clubs and doing open mics uh, probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, it was about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, just kept at it and, you know, got to meet people. And uh, one night, now this is not something that typically happens, but I happened to be uh, in this in this stand-up contest. And it was largely a bringer show. And at that time, I didn't tell anyone, none of my friends, because I figured if I go up there and bomb, you know, at least I don't have to deal with them, you know, rubbing it in later on. And a booker from uh, an agency that, that handles a lot of the um, comedy clubs in the Midwest uh, came up to me after my set and said, hey, either way, you know, here's my card. Mm. And uh, started working for them very, very soon after. So it was, it was within a year of returning to stand-up that I was starting to get 
uh, hosting gigs and other paid spots. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's that's great. Um, so, were you stage fright at all? I mean, I've I've always toyed with the idea of wanting to be a stand up, but it just seems like a terrifying thing. I mean, I'm a writer, so I just write things, and then I don't have to see the disappointment in people's faces. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, it's there's, there's oh, yeah. a remove there, but you're like you know very quickly how how things are going. You know what I mean? Well, you know. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because in, in between, before I went back to stand-up, I was writing this humor blog. Mm. This is back when blogs were you know more more popular on the oh, internet. Yeah. And I really enjoyed doing it, but I kind of missed the immediate reaction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you write it, you send, you know, you, you, you publish it, you start to get some comments in, but you really don't get to see people read it, their reactions. So... Once I started doing stand-up, I kind of got away from the writing uh, of the blogs because I was getting that immediate result. So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, yeah, I don't have stage fright so much, although when I went back, I do remember that, uh, you know, I was a lot uh, more stuck with, all right, here's my, my list, here's what the joke looks like, and didn't really let myself have a lot of space to, mm-hmm. to react, and like a bomb could have gone off in the room, and my step would not have changed, <laughs> right? But then, a, a, as I got more um, experience, then you know, I, I was I was more present on stage, and I could react to things that were going on, and and I'm kind of monitoring the room, and you know, could be flexible, switch up things, try new things, mm-hmm. uh, and not be stuck. Yeah. What do you do when you just bomb and there's no coming back? I mean, what do you do? I mean, that's always the thing that I'm like, oh my gosh. Because <laughs> it's uncomfortable for me when I'm in a room and the comic is bombing. Like, I don't want them to be bombing. I'm from, like, the audience. Like, how can I How can I just steer this so we all go home and, <laughs> in one piece here? And then I feel like the crowd, like, consuming them. And, like, it's like, I just don't want to be here for this. <laughs> yeah, you know, but the crowd, I think most of the crowd is like that. I mean, yeah, uh-huh. people who, who will get some but uh, I think that most audiences want the comic mm-hmm. well. They, right, that's why you came there to see a com- comedian on stage performing yeah. well. So, so as far as bombing, you know, I really couldn't tell you that's never happened. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least no, you're modest. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 of course. Right. So talk about being present. Yeah, you're present of a lot of other things that you weren't aware of before <laughs> during a good set. Like, damn, how much am I sweating right now? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're very present at the time. Like, how much longer do I have to stand up on this stage? Right, right. Yeah, you know. know, One thing that stands out, I uh, I headlined this gig for the um, Fremont Comedy Festival uh, a few years ago, and this is in Fremont, Michigan. This is where Gerber Baby Food is from, Ah. and they have the the Baby Food Festival, and so it's all ages. So it's super clean. Now I'm not a you know not a dirty comic, but there's the difference between all ages and you know being being all clean, or excuse me, being clean just generally in the clubs and all ages, right? Mm-hmm. So this people are there with their families. It's broad daylight. This is you know July or whatnot. I think the shows are seven. And they were, so I knew I had to do at least 45 minutes, but it had to be 45 minutes of the being all ages material. Mm-hmm. So I'm going through my set. I could feel the part of my set where I typically, you know, I'm is getting to the uh, the finish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm looking at my watch to see, and I had only been up for 20 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, so you know you're, you're, you're in trouble when you have to do crowd work with seven-year-olds. <laughs> so that's what I was doing to fill out that set. Wow. So, but yeah, you're really aware. You're like, oh my, you know, so and in time, you know, when you're having a good set, it feels like you just got out there 45 minutes or whatever, it just goes by very quickly. Mm-hmm. But when it does it, you feel every kick. <laughs> I mean, you can't get off before your time is up. You just have to. No. You just have to do no. your time. Right? Not if you want to get paid. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, look, I'm not going to bomb and not get paid. So. <laughs> That's right. If you're going to do it, you know, at least get a check for it. So. That's right. <laughs> 
um, you know, and, and, you know, not to put a too fine a point on it, but you do talk about race a fair amount yeah. in your, uh, in your set and, and you are a working comic in the Midwest. You, you, you're from Michigan. I'm from Indiana. We, we know where we are. Um, you know, how, how is that? You know, is there, is there friction? Do are people receptive? Do people not know how to feel? Cause I, I feel like people feel assaulted if they even have to think about race sometimes. Yeah, they do. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I was saying during the, the, um, the month before the election, you know, people are like, well, Trump can't win. I'm like, look, I've done too many one-nighters yeah. in Michigan, you know, rural towns in Indiana or whatever to believe that that could happen because, mm-hmm. you know, these are the, the spots. And, you know, I think for the most part, people received the material well, but things have changed in the last year. Mm. And I think some people are more emboldened now. So mm-hmm. if you do challenge them on issues of race or, or politics, something that they don't agree with, they're they're more likely to be vocal and push back than than they were before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so I mean, I passed a huge Trump sign on the work. I worked in Kokomo and I lived in Noblesville, and I, I drove you know an hour straight each way to work. And I passed the the biggest Trump signs. I couldn't even told you what a Hillary Clinton sign looked like, and I was still somehow right. shocked at the outcome. <laughs> sure. And I and but but I have you're not the only comedian that I've talked to that was like, uh, yep, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> We've, we've been we've been in front of a lot of people. We we know what this is a real thing. You can't wish this away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But um. So uh, yeah, you wanted to talk about something that I thought was interesting and POCs in in, in genre movies. Now, um, yeah. you, you mentioned uh, the the Star Wars movies. Now, um, yeah. I just just to say up front that I have not seen a new Star Wars movie since the prequels. So I've seen the original series and I've seen the prequels, and then I had two kids and uh, they're not old enough yet and there we are so um you're gonna have to forgive my ignorance a little bit on the subject but what i was saying to you is that as i remember that there was a especially in the prequels a racial component to the um different uh, species of alien oh, alien species yeah like jar jar binks was supposed to be a patois you know jamaican guy and you know or something yeah. like that you know and then these other people were supposed to be jews or something the, and the Nimodians, i believe they were they yeah that um, kind of um you know associated with I, I remember earlier movies like 50s and i mean i, I wasn't there but i've seen them mm-hmm. right <laughs> uh where uh characters from asia had this very particular you know the way of, of speaking and uh, very stereotypical and generally not even played by actors who mm-hmm. were Asian. And we heard those, uh, I believe it was the Nimodians, I'm sure there's some geeks out there who are fellow geeks, I should say, who are loudly yelling at their lights right now. <laughs> They're already yelling at me but, for not having seen the last three Star Wars movies. I, I, so I'm <laughs> but yeah, you know, you listen to this and you're like, wow, this is not good. This is... yeah. You know, for, for for a movie that at the time was so cutting edge as far as visual effects, mm-hmm. and something that people really anticipated, it seemed like a really backward step. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but yeah, no. What what I uh, find really interesting right now is the reaction to the more recent movies, and it appears to be less on you know whether people enjoyed the storyline, but and, and more on well. This doesn't look like our Star Wars because, look, the the last two movies or last three movies, the lead character was a woman, and you know now they're throwing the the quote is they're forcing diversity down upon us. You have uh, one character who's a stormtrooper, Finn. He's black. He takes off the helmet. There's a black stormtrooper. The internet like falls apart. How could this possibly be be the case? Uh, the other lead character is a Latino male. And, yeah, people are doing petitions, and they don't even want the movie to exist. There's a petition out there that is asking uh, Disney to strike the movie from continuity. Like, Disney's going to put something that they put hundreds of millions of dollars into, and, oh, by the way, have received billions of dollars just because someone, you know, can't perform anymore because they saw a woman touch a lightsaber. Wow, that blows my mind that people would do that. Um, 
Well, I mean, if those people really want to have that separation, George uh, Lucas is not involved in Star Wars anymore, right? He's no That's longer true. has any yeah. say over the, anything. So right. if they want to draw a line, they can just draw a line uh, for those first six movies, and they can just live in that world and not acknowledge this at all. I don't think, why do they need a petition for that? But yeah, it's, it's like any kind of uh, equality feels like oppression, as I think the saying goes. Yeah, so. right, and... You know, they, they there's a feeling, and you know, I guess it's the part where I say, well, it's not all people, but but there's there certainly is. You know, you hear people boycotting, and there has been, you know, they're showing like on Rotten Tomatoes while the critics gave uh, the Last Jedi very positive reviews, uh, a few people kind of gained the system, and it appears that the audience reaction. Uh, uh, was very poor. Hmm. So, you know, I'm not saying that everybody loved the movie. I'm not even saying that there weren't issues that, that you know, I had with it. But, um, you know, they're Star Wars movies. They're not exactly uh, the deepest, most, uh, you know, philosophical movies out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it still feels like a lot of this is a reaction to people seeing heroic figures that don't necessarily look like the heroes did in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, the other thing that it made me think of was the uh, female Ghostbusters movie, which, I, oh, sure. yeah, which I've yet to see, but I'm also not, like, furious it exists. I'm just like, you know, I haven't gotten around to it yet. It hasn't been super important. I've had other things going on, but I'm not like, I love the original Ghostbusters like everyone did. I had the action figures, um, right. but... You know, it doesn't, and it still exists. Yeah, it doesn't. They're not replacing it like it's not one for one. It's not like they're like, all right, we're having a Ghostbusters burning in the town square tomorrow, and bring your cop- VHS copy from your beloved childhood collection with you. Yeah, and they're never ever going to have the original cast come back. It's just not going to happen. Even if they did, they wouldn't be the same people. This was right. them thirty years ago. So yeah, yeah. they're older than the ghost. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Well, that you know, you know. It's, it's not just in that though. So yeah, I, I find it interesting because you see it. All right. Here's here's why I find it interesting. I've always felt kind of an affinity for for geeks because I'm into genre. I still I still like video games. I still like uh, comic books. Um, and I always felt a sense of kinship with other people who shared those interests. And I felt like we're supposed to be together. And I used to actually even do this this uh, bit on stage about why. Um, you know, kind of the people who are super into athletics always make fun of people who uh, like Star Wars, Star Trek, or comic books or whatnot. And I would say why, you know, these geeks are actually, yeah, it's joking, but why they're quote-unquote better, right? Now, I don't even think I can say that anymore. Hmm. I really don't. I, I, I see the reaction when you see increased uh, diversity and representation in comic books and in video games and whatnot, and the backlash is coming off. You know, as a result, mm-hmm. um, you know, you would think that a community that was, you know, kind of put upon by others, you know, Kiki, you're, you're, you're not popular, you like all this stuff, will have a little bit more empathy. But it just sounds like they want to behave uh, in the same way. Uh, but they just want other targets. Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the alt right stuff and the Gamergate that all came sadly out of that <laughs> world. And you know, that's, that's right. not the like you said. That's they're the marginalized, or, or that was the you know way people thought of it before. You know, the geeks, so who nerds who wants to hang out with them? They but you banded together out of self protection, yeah. and, and then, you know, you didn't like become Nazis or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. You know, like one would say, you know, now Star Wars has this political agenda. Well, guess what? Star Wars always had a political agenda. Of course. You know, they called them stormtroopers. The bad guys were stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally from, from uh, Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are looking at it at the lens like there's this, you know, I, I don't even think it's a case of them not wanting there to be a political message. They just don't want that message to be contrary to, to what they believe. Mm. Um, but St- Star Wars has... You know, again, it's been, you know, there are a lot of echoes from World War II imagery, and mm. particularly with Nazi Germany. Those are the bad guys in the uh, in the movie. Yep, absolutely. Well, I mean, let's let's face it. You know, I've always been more of a Trekkie than a Star Wars person. So, you know, it, it's, even, Star even Trek that. has been on the forefront of uh, you know Hura and, and and Shatner. You know, making history on That's TV, right? <laughs> right? So, but people, you know, like the new series. Now, I haven't seen any of uh, the, the Discovery, right? The the, the new series that that is, yeah. and the lead character is uh, black woman. 
Mm-hmm. And people are saying that, oh, this is forced diversity. I'm like, really? In, in Star Trek, which has always had diversity, which mm-hmm. has been, you know, pretty much a dismissive statement, which, by the way, exists in a post capitalist future. <laughs> <laughs> you're telling me now that. <laughs> People always conveniently forget that part of the story, don't they? <laughs> they don't even have pockets. That's how anti-capitalist they are. They don't even have pockets. They're like, you don't need to put anything. What do you, do you need, need to hide anything? from the group? <laughs> share and share alike in the Federation. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's really interesting, yeah. Um, so what do you think of the new Star Wars just in general? Like, Do you think it is like an exciting new chapter? Are you into where they're going with it? Yeah, I'm fine with it. I, I, you know, when, when um, what was it? The Force Awakens came out. I'm watching them like this is this is a new hope. This is the first Star Wars movie. Um, the beats, the story beats were almost the exact same. And a lot of the criticism is, well, you know, th- this new movie is subverting a lot of the tropes. So it, it's doing a lot of things that are completely unexpected or contrary to what we have been uh, accustomed to over the last hours. Well, you need to do that. I don't want to keep seeing the same movie over and over again. How many times are we going to have a movie where the climax is the destruction of the Death Star or something very similar <laughs> to it? Right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, to that end, I think that they've opened themselves up. You know, I'm not going to spoil it. I know you haven't seen it, and I don't know if you know all your listeners have. Mm-hmm. But for the first time, you're coming out of the movie like, well, wow, I don't know where they're going to go next with this. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, that that's a good feeling. Yeah, I, I just felt like this, the prequels were such a step back to me uh, from what, you know, originally made the, you know, new first movies fresh and exciting and um, something people hadn't seen before. And it was like, you know, going over, treading the same ground, uh, you know, that we've, we've already been down. And it's like, uh, oh, wow, isn't it going to be crazy later when this happens? And it's like, get on with it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen those movies. I don't, I remember being thoroughly un- underwhelmed, though. So. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I haven't seen them. Well, I can't remember. I, I, I do remember listening to the director commentary, so I must have bought mm-hmm. the DVD or whatever, Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to George Lucas talk about it, and he was he was talking about things that are very particular, like, well, here's why stormtroopers bump their heads. <laughs> They're like, okay, who cares about that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why are you spending so much time worried about stormtroopers bumping their heads? But on, on the, uh, the story, he had all the technology. But the thing that I... Uh, came away from is that that uh, trilogy needed a skeptic. It didn't have the Han Solo hmm. character or, uh, you know, similar character that kind of acknowledged that a lot of the stuff was silly. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. You know, Han Solo was always commenting on the Force and, you know, a lot of the, the, the mythos and kind of very skeptical. And so the audience could say, yeah, this is kind of silly, but somebody has voiced that, so let's, let's go along with it. The prequel trilogy was just so self-serious and Mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot weirder things than midichlorians and all. Yeah, that what happened really there? That was yeah. yeah. Th- I remember being angry about that. <laughs> Needed the character to say, "What the what the hell?" What's the, what's the <laughs> you know? Like I didn't need that. Like that wasn't necessary. I already had. We had the force. Okay, the, the force is just the force. Okay, we get it. Like it's like the thing. Yeah. We don't need the midichlorians. <laughs> yeah, anyway. we'll tell you how that was made. Right. You know, actually, uh, and I'm not even going to try to step. Pat Oswalt had a had a great bit about that. About yeah. How he was more interested in, you know, showing you how the, you know, how, how the sausage was made. <laughs> right. So, yes, so. I remember that. Yeah. Now that you mention it. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Prince, man, because yeah. I really wanted to get well, into that. This is this is what I've been uh, looking forward to talking about. Because okay, I got to be real, real honest. Okay, I don't want to act come off as someone that I'm not. I was not like it, I, I knew who Prince was, and I knew that he was good, and I liked certain things that I'd heard, and, and this and that. But I was not. I wouldn't call myself a Prince fan. And then, and this kind of happened with uh, David Bowie too for me, uh, sure. because I got uh, I got kind of sucked in when both of those people died into their back catalogs and I was like what have I been doing I've been wasting my time this is this is the thing this is the stuff uh, and so I don't want to come off as somebody you know because when a, 
when a celebrity dies, you know, people always want to be the, the one that's like, you know, I was, you know, this meant something to me. And it's like, you know, I've, I've been that person before, but, but with this, it was kind of the reverse almost because by them dying, it actually gave me a window back into all the things I had missed. And now I'm just catching up on all of it. Um, so, you know, it's, it, I've been immersed in it and it's all happening to me for the first time. And so I, but I'm sure that you probably, I'm guessing had <laughs> more of a, 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 a real connection to it before before he died. Oh yeah, I went through this in real time. I mean, yeah. So you know, like his his career. I can't. You know, there are a lot of people like, well, I was I was there with his first album, which came out in '78. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite there. Um, where I had my first exposure to Prince was '79. Uh, I had this older cousin who was uh, four four years older, um, but we hang out. And sometimes he he'd come over to the house, and he would bring music. He always had you know, new music with him, and he had the single for "I Want to Be Your Lover," which you know, mm-hmm. was Prince's first hit. And he left it; he he forgot to pack it up when he when he left. So I had, and I probably wore that thing down. <laughs> you know, I wore those vinyl grooves down to you know to nothing. Uh-huh. So I was in the perfect age. Uh, I think pop culture wise, I always think that people are really most attached to whatever they liked when they were like 13. Or oh, 14. yeah, I, th- I definitely think that's true. Right. So Purple Rain came out when I was 14. Wow. And I there was a there was a period of time where I bought the new Prince release back when you actually had to go to a store <laughs> to buy a full release uh, on the day it came out. And I remember very clearly riding my bike up to Musicland at the mall and coming back with the uh, with the vinyl album for, for Purple Rain and listening to it for the first time and the opening refrain to Let's Go Crazy where you're like, mm-hmm. you know, there's that, that hymnal kind of preacher mm-hmm. thing at the beginning. You're like, where, you know, where's he going? <laughs> and then, you know, Kate Trump comes in as, you know, the, uh, the main riff. And this was at a time where every Prince album that came out, and I had 1999, which is my favorite Prince album. That was the one that came out before Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, very cold, very electronic. You could hear some some of that, like Darling Nikki and Purple Rain and Computer Blue to a certain extent. But every album was a, a departure over the one before it, mm-hmm. right? So Purple Rain, you know, I, I, I worn down all of the 1999 songs and all the B-sides that were for the single there. I had all of that. So here was this new album, and the, the, at the, uh, the movie was coming out that summer. And it was, you know, I was just obsessed at the time. You know, I had Prince posters, probably worried my poor father to death. You know, I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have pictures of women in bikinis or whatever. I had a picture of Prince <laughs> um, But yeah, so, and, and, and ever since then, so, you know, up to this day, um, you know, and I, you know, my social media, I would talk about Prince so much so that when he died, I had people that man, I really didn't even know checking in to see if I was okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my father had died like three years before that. Didn't get that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I was, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I saw the purple rain tour and I, you know, saw him in concert many other times after that. Really? Wow. Every You're lucky. Year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was a period of time where every year he had a new album and there I was, even when he didn't have a new album, when he had a single out, there was generally an unreleased song as a B-side that no one had heard of. And, yeah, this is something that I kept with me that I never really stopped being into it, right? So there were other artists that I liked at the time, but, you know, it's just, you don't, but Prince was really, it's kind of a cliche, it was the soundtrack of my life. So I could pull uh, an album out or listen to it. I remember exactly where I was in my life when that came out because I was whenever it was I was wearing it out mm-hmm yeah, well, uh, I mean that's 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 probably good though that that you got so much Prince while it was happening because I, I I love you know I, it's it's a it's a love hate relationship I have with with how I do this because I I feel like I always do this I I always hear that somebody died and then I'll do one thing and then of course I'll get obsessed and then I'll like do I have to know everything and I have to listen to everything and then I'm like oh then I met but I'd spent so long doing that by the time the next person died I've already 
wasted all my time listening to the last person that died, and I haven't listened to anything new, not appreciating the people that are still here. <laughs> so I feel like I'm now in this cycle of like constantly playing catch-up, and it's like, man, there's so much I just don't know and haven't heard, and I want to get as much as I can, but this <laughs> feels like so much. Uh, but anyway, that's just my experience of it. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of an artist that has as much material, mm. you know, officially released and still unreleased as, as Prince. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you you know, there's plenty of oh my gosh. Uh, music out there that you had to discover, which is kind of why, you know, when, when he died and people started talking about the unreleased songs, they're like, oh, wow, we're going to be able to hear, you know, Prince songs that we've never heard before. Uh, I, I said, you know what, if you really want to hear Prince songs you haven't heard before, listen to the last 20 albums. <laughs> because most people haven't heard them. No, absolutely uh, not. Know, yeah, not getting any any airplay, and there's plenty of stuff out there that you can you know still get your hands on. This there's really solid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've been you know it's, my social media betrays this. I've been critical of, of a lot of his his older stuff, but then I kind of realized that you know I'm never going to be 14 again. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to have that same connection with that new music, but I you know generally enjoyed it. And I thought a lot of the, the material that came out in the years uh, right before his death were you know he was he was putting out some tremendous stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I just think it like flowed out of him at an uncontrollable rate, and you know I don't know how did you feel about that? Like yeah, you, know, you talked a little bit about the the backlog, and of course he had that big controversy where he wrote Slave on his cheek. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, and, you know, I'm sure you remember. <laughs> and, I, well, uh, no, I remember because people, you know, like I was responsible for him. Like, yeah, what's up with your boy? But, yeah, yeah, but he was, like, very protective, and he, he wouldn't, like, you couldn't find a lot of his... That was one thing when Prince died. I wanted to go listen to some Prince songs, and now, of course, you know, YouTube is choked with Prince material, but, like, the day right. that he died, it was empty. Like, there was nothing. Uh, there was like one or two things on a cell phone that was it, you know, it was pretty, pretty spare. And, you know, that, you know, kind of speaks to his, he was very protective of his work, even though he produced a lot of it, like, you know, they were saying after he died, um, I kind of can't believe he didn't have a will that, that kind of blows my mind. Um, I don't know. It seems like somebody that thought about his legacy that much would have a will. So I don't know. That always seemed weird to me, but here's here's the thing. Here's, here's why I think he didn't have a will. I don't think he thought he was ever going to die. And, <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean that to say, I don't think I'm going to die for 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, I don't think he ever thought he was going to die. <laughs> so why, why get a will? Yeah, I can right? see what you're saying. Because he said, you know, he yeah, for a while, he said, you know, I don't count birthdays anymore. Now, he did have this religious conversion. Uh, became a Jehovah's Witness, so he didn't celebrate birthdays, but he said he didn't count them because he thought that they were a trap, that if you start counting your years, you would get older. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that he had this this belief that um, he would only die if he ever considered that he was going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's, yeah. I mean, it, at the same time, people that are that special, I mean, why wouldn't they think they have like magical powers or something? I mean, if you like, if you did something like he did in his life, yeah, you know, just, just rose out of, out of, you know, nothing to become, you know, the, the greatest, you know, guitar player, greatest musician, greatest songwriter, greatest performer ever. Well, what couldn't you do? I mean, you know, if, if you can do that, I mean, it would, so. There's stories out there where people claim that he can levitate. They were like, to the extent that anything good has happened uh, since, he, since his death is that people are now talking more. <laughs> yeah, you know, they were right. Just, and, they speak with you, and the funniest stories come out. And I can't remember who it was, but someone said at the party that they, they swear they turned around and Prince was levitating. <laughs> <laughs> And I gotta say, can't rule it out. No, absolutely. You'd be a fool to rule it out. <laughs> I mean, if you have you heard him play guitar, but um, oh yeah, tell me about it. And, yeah. and what I hear is that's not even. I, I've heard people say that piano was actually the best instrument hmm. instrument that he played, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I. Uh, you know, he's better at piano than he was at guitar. Jeez. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's an interesting one I found uh, that it was recorded right near his first album, but it was just like an instrumental jazz album he performed with like two other people that were in his band, and it was like just improvised. And 
how many other things like that are there out there? I mean, that would like be the best thing some people ever produced if that was like an actual album. Yeah, but that's just a tossed away. Who cares? You know, <laughs> like the extra the prints. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like, hey, let's let's do this. And I think it was, it was. I don't know if you're talking about the Rebels project, but there was. Yeah, he he, he did have this kind of. Hey, he always wanted to perform more than just as himself. I think he knew that that was a way that he could get more product out. So, yeah, he had there's there's a ton of these uh, um, projects that were never released, and some have. I don't know if you're familiar with Madhouse. Mm, I, I've heard the this name. About, okay, so Madhouse was a band that he he had. It was uh, right around the time the Sign of the Times came out. So this is '87. Okay. And it's all instrumental, and it's this, like, jazz funk fusion thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember buying it. I didn't even know that he was on it. It was not in the credits. I knew it was on his label, which at that time was good enough for me. If it was on his label, I was going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And this was literally months after Sign of the Times came out, which I believe is his best album. It distinguished that from 1999, which is my favorite album. Mm-hmm. That was a double album cut down from a triple album. Mm. Yet that same year, he put out this this jazz uh, album, jazz funk album, under the name Madhouse, hmm. uh, and you know didn't really he he didn't promote it as being associated with him, um, but it was a totally different side. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of stuff now. That stuff is harder to find. The stuff that was on his label uh, has been out of print for a, a very long time. But yeah, you can get on YouTube and some other places now, and yeah, and find that the the lawyers aren't quite as aggressive as they were. <laughs> I think he had an army of lawyers. Uh, you know, oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's the Loring Park sessions, is what I was thinking of. L O R I N G. Oh, sure. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just uh, amazing uh, how much he produced, and and for other people too, because you know, I'm I'm sure you had a lot of uh, more stay in the time albums if you had Prince albums, right? Oh, absolutely. So, and I remember not even knowing. Uh, I remember getting into arguments with friends over who, which you know, which group was better, you know, Prince's group or the Time. And then, of course, all the recorded stuff, it was the same thing yeah. on both. Who do you think wrote cool? Come on, really? Yeah. <laughs> and you could hear him. I mean, that's the thing. If you listen to the Time song, you can hear Prince singing. Mm-hmm. You know? Because yeah. uh, a lot of times, Morris just sang over a guide track, and, you know, you can still hear Prince's voice a little bit lower in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, listen to that, and you know, at the time I was believing everything that came out. He used to say that uh, there was this other person. He had a lot of alter egos, and it was Jamie Starr. Jamie Starr mm. was supposed to be this older man that was the mastermind behind the time and Vanity Six and a lot of other groups. <laughs> um, it was good, but they would interview people. What's Jamie Starr like? Oh, he's this cool little dude. He's this old dude. And, <laughs> What is so this like, Tony Clifton or something? It's like, yeah, it's like Tony Clifton, right? <laughs> it was this other alter ego. You can actually hear his voice in some of the things that. Uh, there's some videos out there where he's actually dressed up. Actually, there's this video, um, yeah, called "Come On," and hmm. it was off of the New Power Soul album. Okay, and it's actually him in the character of Jamie Starr. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, he played... We're really down the rabbit hole. What's that? I said, we're really down the rabbit hole. Oh, we are. That's okay. This is this is for the, the real fans, anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, this is uh, this is interesting. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting to go back over someone's life and see all the different, uh, you know, personas that they played, because he, he I felt like he integrated well into uh, the, what was happening. You know, he, he embraced rap, if ever so awkwardly, at certain points. Um, you know, he tried. He tried to keep up with what was happening. You know, and he tried to put it through his you know thing. Uh, there, there's a very obscure uh, new Power Generation album that I don't know if you've heard of called uh, Gold and Gold and yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's actually it's yeah. good. It's Prince. It's good. Um, yeah. It's it's definitely him trying to take the. Uh, I don't I don't know what what he's doing there exactly, but it's it's it's, it's something he tried. Slash, you know, it's like the soundtrack for a black exploitation movie that never whatever was made. Yeah, right, exactly. It's very cinematic. It's very, you know, yeah. he tries some. He tries a lot there. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, he, he went through a lot of different iterations. I felt like at the end, I appreciated his um, his later work, honestly, because I felt like he kind of 
got back to, you know, what, what he did best. And I felt like he was right. more comfortable with what he was doing. I felt like starting with, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I love this song. I, I, I always bump this song, but, um, you know, my name is Prince. That was oh. definitely of the, of its time in a certain way. <laughs> Oh, yeah, in retrospect, you know, it's a little, it's, it, I don't want to say dated because that's pejorative, but you know, it's, it's, you know, you can tell exactly what year it was made. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, on, but that's off a very solid album. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a great album. This is a sign, yeah, a simple album. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, you know, people were, this is a really bad thing. Um, well, one of the, not the really bad thing, the fact that he died was a bad thing. But if I hear Purple Rain one more time, you know, <laughs> I might have to take a hostage. <laughs> And you know, it's like, oh, here's, there's there's so much other music, but everyone was just harping on not only the Purple Rain song, but certainly the Purple Rain album. Uh-huh. But I would put, um, you know, I've already said Silent Times is my is mm, the best, right? And Nineteen Ninety is my favorite. Purple Rain is probably top five for me. Hmm. Um, but I think that the uh, the Symbol album is certainly up there. I think the Gold Experience. That's I don't think that's in print anymore, but that's a really solid album. Mm-hmm. Um, what about I'm the not, Black album? I've heard a lot about it, but okay. I don't. I've never delved into it. I bought the Black album was the first bootleg Prince album that I ever bought. <laughs> the first, but not the last. <laughs> oh no, not by a long time. So, so this is 1987, and uh, excuse me, 88. Excuse me, it was supposed to come out in 1988. He stopped the presses on it. Like right when it was about to come out, there had already been some some uh, printings, and it was going out. He was like, "No, stop this." Uh, the, the story is that he he had a bad like ecstasy trip, <laughs> which you know it always shocked me because one of the things I really liked about Prince is he was always anti drug. Everything else, he was mm-hmm. in, you know being a geeky kid. I thought that was kind of cool, right? And then uh, when I heard that he had this ecstasy trip, that was the first time. I guess in hindsight, given given how he died, it's kind of ironic. But mm-hmm. uh, he had this bad trip. Trip. He told Warner Brothers not to release it. He records a totally different, well, not totally different. There's one song that's on both, but uh, otherwise uh, a different album, Love Sexy, that he put together in a matter of months. And you know, uh, the the uh, the black album was actually supposed to be out like six months after Sign of the Times, which mm-hmm. again a double album. Mm-hmm. And it was in reaction to, you know, people feeling that he had gotten away from his black funk type roots, which, yeah, he kind of did. And I grew up in Detroit. Detroit was one of the first markets to really adopt Prince and, and play his stuff and not just the singles, but the, you know, the album cuts. And I remember, you know, this was a time where, you know, he still had a large black audience, the Purple Rain. And then the next album comes out. And the first song off of it is Raspberry Beret. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be a difficult day for you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, a little bit, right? So, it's a different. Like I said, every album is different. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the black radio face was like, we can't do anything like this. You know, you, He's, he's dressed up in clouds. He's you know, buying lens and what you know. What is this? Right. So he, you know, he had that. He had the album uh, Parade, um, mm-hmm. and he really got away very much from the the, the the funk roots. And this was his way of saying, "Look, I can still do this." Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he. So once I found out that this album was made but not released. I had to have it. Hmm. So back in the days where we had, well, we still have independent music stores, but I'm, you know, at the store and we have, we have the same behind the counter. We've got the black album. <laughs> and it was like, it was on cassette. Oh, wow. It was wrapped up in this black, like, crepe paper. Oh. And it was, it was $30. $30. Wow. I remember. Wow. This is 1988. So $30 is like yeah. $70. Now. Sure. And I'm in my second year of college. So this is not, you know, a small sum of money. Mm-hmm. And I got it. And it was just, it was, it was probably more important that I had and other people didn't than the <laughs> contents of, of the, the cassette. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
so yeah, I had it for years. Now they did ultimately release it. Mm-hmm. They released it at the end when he um, was trying to get, you know, he was finishing up his deal with Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. But it was funny to me because I remember Gary Graff. Gary Graff wrote for the Detroit Free Press. He's a music critic. And I remember uh, when Love Sexy came out, he was critical of Love Sexy, but he said, you know, the album he should have released was the Black Album. That was a great album, this, that, and the other. When the album finally came out, Gary Graff did a review of it, and he didn't like it. <laughs> I would think it was because it was so rare and unheard of. Uh-huh. You know, that was part of the mystique of Oh, now. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, the quickest way to make me want something is to be like, no, you can't have this. Can and have then, oh, well, okay, now I got to have it. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, what did you think of his um, apparent hyper-religiosity? You know, I, I kind of compare it to uh, Bob Dylan had a period where he was a born-again Christian. But, I mean, this was pretty much his whole life. I mean, he grew up He grew up in the church, right? He grew up, uh, what, what did he, he went from one pretty extreme religion to the next, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah. He grew up, yeah, his, his family, they were Seventh-day uh, Adventists, mm-hmm. and I don't know a whole lot about that. I Seventh-day don't either, Adventists. yeah. Although my grandfather was one, so I should probably know a little bit. <laughs> Other than their Sabbath is Saturday, that, that's kind yes, of Yes, uh, yeah, and I only know that because there's uh, one in between the Starbucks in my house, and on Saturday mornings it's always full, and I always make note of that. So. Right. <laughs> So, but yeah, you're right. It's always been a thread. In fact, yeah. his, first, his first album is For You, and the hmm. lead-off song on that is this acapella piece that kind of predates Bohemian Rhapsody, I think it was. I, check me on that. It's around the same time, but to the extent that he had all this multi-track vocals, mm-hmm. this was his. This was the first thing that anyone who bought the first album has heard, and it was dedicated to God, and all of his albums were, were dedicated to God, and it was... A really accessible guide, if that makes any sense, hmm. because he was very much into acceptance. So it was acceptance, you know, the, the, you go back to the song Uptown, a dirty mind, white, black, Puerto Rican, everybody out, you know, just a freaking. And it was uh, this acceptance that he talked about, you know, how people perceived his sexual orientation. And although he said that he was, he wasn't gay, he never implied that there was anything wrong with being gay. It's just that wasn't him. And, um, you know, Wendy and Lisa and incorporating that uh, their relationship in, into the group. It was this very love-focused, non-judgmental guy. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious at all, but that's something that did kind of appeal to me, that, okay, if this is the way we're going to go, this, this sounds good. But uh, sometime, and as it really happened after the death of his child, uh, he got hooked up with Larry, Larry Graham. Yes, uh, uncle of uh, Drake, right? Oh, that's right. Uncle of Drake and, uh, you know, basis for... The amazing band. bass player, by the way. Just amazing. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, totally established a new kind of flat bass. Uh, Flea owes him brand. quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. So he was the one that introduced him to uh, the Jehovah's Witness mm-hmm. uh, religion. And he stayed with that and it had significant uh, effects on his life, including, you know, at least in my opinion, uh, some of the circumstances leading up to his death. Hmm. And, you know, I want to be careful, I'm not blaming Jehovah's Witnesses, but I think that, you know, given uh, some restrictions that they have on blood transfusions, hmm. you know, he did, you know, he, he, all of that dancing and all of the, you know, if you go back and look at his video, oh, yeah. you know, there's uh, a YouTube clip of him just doing the split. Oh. Like him doing splits on all these different things. Yeah. And his, his, his hips turned to powder. Of course they did. Well, yeah, anybody's would that, that many times, yeah. Yeah, and and you know I had heard stories that he needed a hip replacement but was unable unable to get it uh, given the restriction on blood transfusions and I don't know I'm probably talking way out of uh, what actually happened but that's uh, yeah. You know, his pain, you know, that was that was the reason. He was coping with pain, and he was, you know, uh, medicating uh, to try to deal with that. He said some days he could barely walk. He did see him with canes in the, in the later oh, years. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. More than just the affectation, but, you know, actual need. And then the really, where you really knew was something wrong, he stopped wearing heels. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that he wore, like, the Trump platform, but he wore heels. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh yeah, maybe that's a little unfair, but I think that if he had treated that that pain mm-hmm. or had, had had the surgeries, I heard Morris they had to have hip hip replacement. And you can't compare the the moves of those two. I mean, he still moved around, but that there's yeah. I mean, Prince was like a I don't know, a gymnast of some sort. Like. 
Well, all the Morris Day stances were for people who didn't know how to dance. Right, exactly. Yeah, they're just they, they seem like pretty simple moves. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the dances was called the Oak Tree. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's why the rest of the time could do the dances w- while playing their instruments. While playing like. their instruments. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't do a lot of what Prince did with anything in your hands. So. No, and that's and you know it's just yeah, I came up and it was kind of like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. You could like one, you but you couldn't like both. Right? <laughs> with Michael Jackson and Prince, that was the big rivalry. Yeah. Well, how did you yeah. feel about Michael Jackson at the time? Could you not like Michael Jackson because you liked Prince? Had you chosen a side? Philosophically, yeah, I was philosophically incapable of liking really? Jackson. Really? Wow. Because this is, you know, I, it was... Because I would say I had more of a connection to Michael Jackson before he died than I had to Prince before he died. And I've I've definitely, my, my appreciation, of course, for Prince has only increased over time, and I've kind of, you know, not no, nothing against Michael Jackson other than the obvious things. Um, but musically, um, you know, musically, I, there's nothing wrong with what he did. It just doesn't have the same, like, I don't find myself revisiting and be like, how did they do this? Like, you know, but Prince, I'm obviously always doing that. But, you know, but but before Michael Jackson, I definitely had a connection to Michael Jackson uh, before he died. Oh, yeah. So. No, he was. He just he couldn't be on both teams. That was huh. kind of how it was. And I remember, you know, getting these huge arguments at school. Really? And the only way that we ever were able to walk away is with an agreement that Prince was the better musician, <laughs> was, the, was the better entertainer. And I look back now, and I don't think I would necessarily concede that now. Hmm. Um, there's this clip on YouTube. Uh, it's uh. It's an, actually a medley. He's doing a medley of songs off of the Gold Experience. Okay. And he's lip syncing. All right. And he he didn't lip sync. He didn't like to lip sync. And his way of kind of needling the um, uh, the show was he was chewing gum. Okay. <laughs> so he's chewing gum. The show. Yeah. This is lip syncing. And I'm not even going to try to fool you. But my point is, this is. If you look on his performance, and I want to say it's the American Music Awards, mm-hmm. he's doing this choreographed dance routine, kind of you know what Michael Jackson does, but because he's not singing and he's not uh, playing an instrument, his moves are phenomenal. And, and I would put that up against any performance that Michael Jackson did. Mm-hmm. And it was almost him saying, oh, if this is what you want me to do, not only could I do it, but I'm going to do it while I'm chewing gum. Right. Because it, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, I look back on that and I'm like, wow, yeah, he could have. You know, the only thing he could, I, I say he couldn't do, he couldn't act. Couldn't act. Um, all, okay, now there, 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 talk about the rabbit hole. Let's go a little further down. Um, so, <laughs> there was a movie after Purple Rain called. Under the Cherry Moon. Okay, tell me about that movie. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> So, so people said, you know, Purple Rain was great. The best part of Purple Rain were the concert performances. So Prince decided he's going to do a totally different movie. Oh, no. He's not going to perform in the movie. He's going to act. <laughs> and oh, by the way, he's going to direct the movie. Oh, boy. He decided to direct the movie and convince Warner Brothers somehow to release the movie in black and white. Wow. What? It's a beautiful looking movie. Mm-hmm. It's a completely ridiculous movie. <laughs> So he plays this this gigolo in South France, okay. Who, fall, who falls in love with a woman who's who is uh, uh, she's an heiress and she's she has this arranged marriage and she's played by Kristen Scott Thomas who went on to actually be uh, you know pretty pretty notable uh, actress and I believe she won an Academy Award certainly not for under the under the. <laughs> train wreck movies mm-hmm. and it is one of those it's it's bad but it's like funny bad hmm. that's good so that was one thing he, he couldn't do um you know he had a, there was a sequel to purple rain graffiti bridge mm. uh that looked like it cost like all of ten dollars to make <laughs> uh it was all done on the sound stage uh, the best movie that he um he was he's ever made is sign of the times and that's because it's a concert movie <laughs> 
right? But okay, so here's here's where I, I had to qualify the statement again. He was on the new girl. Uh, I've heard about this. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I know he was on an episode of that, right? He was on the episode of the new girl, mm-hmm. and he was great. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it was he 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 was natural. I mean, he was playing himself, which I understand is more difficult than than it looks. Uh, he was funny. And yeah, it, it's it's kind of sad that uh, you know maybe if he had lived longer, he would have had more opportunities uh, to do more of that. And I think maybe if he wasn't central, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because he's so distinctive looking. It's hard, you know, what is, you know, what what kind of movie are you going to put him in? But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. He's not going to be like Daniel Day-Lewis or something. You know, you're always going to know it's like Prince. You know, he's not going to melt into the role or whatever. (laughs) Wow, Prince really disappeared in that role. (laughs) Exactly. He can either play Prince or an alien. (laughs) Well, I mean, he was a five-foot sprite with uh, butterfly wings on his back. But, you know, other than that, he was totally believable as the uh, oil magnet from the 1800s or whatever. (laughs) That's right. Who yeah. should we get to play Abraham Lincoln? I got a, I, I got a wild thought on this. Why don't we go with Prince? Right? The stovepipe hat is like six feet tall. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, so what is your what is your top? If you had to say your top five Prince songs ever, um, oh, okay. Well, let's, let's just break it down. I mean, what is it? All right, my favorite song by Prince is a song called She's Always in My Hair. Okay, I've heard and that it's one. It's a B song, right? Mm-hmm. It's not on any, well, I shouldn't say it's not on any album. It's actually on his, um, the compilation that mm-hmm. hits in the B-sides, on the B-sides album. Mm-hmm. It was the uh, the B-side to Raspberry Beret. Mm-hmm. All right, so these are, that's my favorite, but uh, the others in no particular order. There's a song, also a B-side, is the B-side of... I want to say Little Red Corvette. It mm-hmm. might be 1999. Called How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a song where Prince is just playing the piano. There's no drums. There's nothing else. He's playing the piano. And amazing song. I encourage people to listen to that. Uh, off the 1999 album, Lady Cab Driver. Mm-hmm. Tremendous song. Probably an eight-minute eight, eight minute song. This was in a time where he had these very long, very drawn-out drawn funk workouts. And Lady Cab Driver... Soundtrack of my life, got to be on there. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot, uh, Computer Blue off of Purple. Yeah, Blue. yeah, that's a great song. Uh, right, and and that has been kind of a unicorn song for me because there's a, a scene in Purple Rain where uh, he walks in, he's mm-hmm. late for a rehearsal, and um, Wendy and um, Lisa. She's not Wendy and Lisa. Wendy and Lisa aren't there, but the rest of the band is. And they're playing the song, the Spunk Workout song. And it's part of an extended version of Computer Blue. Mm. So I always knew it was out there. And I was waiting to be able to get it. Because at the time, he used to have a single cut, but then he would have an uh, extended version uh, of a lot of his songs. Like, there's a 10-minute version of Let's Go Crazy. Mm. Right? And I was, I was waiting for the, for the full version of Computer Blue. It did not come out, and I, w- I was unable to find it anywhere until after she died. Mm. And then now it's on the re-release. Mm. And it's just, oh, man, every time I hear that song, it's like the first time. I always hear something different. Yeah. So I think I'm one song short. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, so if I go for one more, there's a song off the Gold Experience called Dolphin. Mm. And you can find it on YouTube. He performed the song on David Letterman, uh, David Letterman show. Mm-hmm. Awesome. My five. That's a that's a pretty good five. Um, I don't feel qualified to to give uh, five, but I will say that uh, well, songs that have grown on me over time. Uh, there's a version of um, "Let's Go Crazy" he did with uh, Third Eye Girl, which is his last group um, that I, I really was into. I, I really like that one. Um, I also love the song "Off Side of the Times," America. And there's a great live version where he plays the drums, and it's so cool. Um, yep. And uh, I, I don't have three more because I, I don't know how I'd pick, and I'm not nearly through uh, his discography. But yeah, those are some of the ones that I've I've really been into lately. But um, well, if any any okay, I have to say this not to be the well actually guy, but just in case there's another hardcore Prince fan, America's off around the world in a day. Oh no, oh, sorry. I knew I knew I'd, I knew I'd do something like that. <laughs> and, 
there is a twenty like twenty five minute version. Oh, because uh, it was a single, and then like I said he has these extended version. And it's like it's at least twenty five minutes. Long. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow, I'm going to find that one. Okay, wow. I, I feel like I, I, <laughs> I really screwed the mood on that one. Wow. Well, no, no, I didn't know. <laughs> if, it was, if it was just you and me, just this talking, I wouldn't just say it. But since because this is for broadcast read, purposes, we need to set the record straight. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've read like a ton of books on Prince, oh. and, and half the time I'm like, nope, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've thought about writing a book about Prince, but then I'm like, there's got to be someone else that's better qualified to do this than I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll, I'll do a couple more months research and I'll, I'll, I'll have more to talk about. But it, that, that's that's cool that you were there from the beginning because you've, you've had more time to think about Prince and I always uh, want more time to think about Prince, basically. <laughs> Yeah, but you get to discover so many, so much more. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the thing. I, I've never seen The Wire either, and everyone uh, scoffs oh, at me. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, but in a certain way, it's good because I still get to see it with fresh eyes, assuming that Trump doesn't blow up the world or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to stay. I just want Black Panther to come out. <laughs> And then if I could do that, then we're good. I had a good run. Uh, not not to get too deep off into the woods into that, but have you read the Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, ones, uh, comic books of that? I have. Yeah. Are they good? Yeah. You know what? It, it, it's not bad. My favorite Black Panther run is uh, it was uh, by this uh, writer named Christopher Priest. Hmm. And he really kind of rebooted the character. Black Panther was, you know, he was... In the eighties, he he really wasn't published. He he uh, debuted in the sixties and had his own series in the seventies. But mm-hmm. there was a long period of time, and because he wasn't a prominent character, that really gave the writer a lot of room to make it his own. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like the X Men or Spider Man where so many you know sales were dependent upon it being this very particular version. And actually, the movie is based a lot on the work that that writer did. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, I'm happy that, you know, not just Ta-Nehisi Coates, but Roxanne Gay, you know, she wrote. Oh, did she? Uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, just, just recently. Cool. So it's good to see these, you know, prominent black fakers who are, you know, expressing themselves through, you know, the comic Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of shows it's not low brow necessarily. It's not, you know, like, like in Ta-Nehisi Coates, I can't think of a more like distinguished writer working today than him, you know, and, and the fact that he's, you know, willing to put his name to something like this shows that, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> it's all the hero's journey. It's all Joseph Campbell, you know what I mean? It's all the same thing, you know. It's, it brings us back to Star Wars. It's all the kind Yeah, exactly. Of bring it back to Star Wars. Yeah, precisely. So, yeah, you think, you think George Lucas made up the call to action or whatever at the beginning of that cycle or whatever. So, <laughs> right, it's all it's, it's all there. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if you use it as you know, kind of the outline. Okay, here's what my story needs to have, and, mm-hmm. and there it is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, um, hey, thanks for uh, talking to me. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, let's let's do it again real soon because uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. So, hey, thanks. Yeah, no, this has been been great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? Any dates or any anything happening that you want to? Yeah, say? you know what? Um, I, I mean, Gilda's Laugh Fest in in March, March 16th. I'm doing a show with this group called the Laugh Riot Dolls. They're they're a group of um, women comedians who are just outstanding and uh, I was invited to come back. I uh, I I thank the uh, organizer. Said, well, you know, thank you for thinking of me. She and she reminded me that uh, you know uh, we had worked together to get them on the um, on the last that lineup. So I get to come back and and hang out with them. And uh, this is in Grand Rapids, Michigan, March sixteenth. Uh, the last ten day comedy festival. Uh, John Mulaney's there this year. I'm trying to think of. I think mm-hmm. Jim Norton. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's Gilda's Last Fest. Not only is it a 10 day comedy fest with nationally touring comics, but it also raises money for Gilda's uh, house, named after Gilda Radner, mm-hmm. and it provides like brief uh, supporting uh, services for families of uh, uh, people with cancer. So uh, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, and he also uh, follow him on Twitter because he's. Uh he's a lot of fun he's got you, you don't you don't tweet that often when you do it's it's worth it it's it's like you know <laughs> call my shots yeah, yeah exactly said, uh, at dk hamilton comedian you know, <laughs> I, I will say 
you know, before the election, I didn't, I wasn't super political, but now mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I kind of have to be. I mean, yeah. So, if you're a human so, in, in 2018, it's kind of so, required. So, yeah. so if you're a Trump supporter, you're not going to like the site. Uh, you're not going <laughs> to like it, but, but it's cool. Block me. Don't listen to me. Don't follow me. Just don't ask. <laughs> Not interested in the hear. comments. <laughs> my, 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 my tweet feed is not a, a First Amendment zone. <laughs> no. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, hey, you have a good rest of your night, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. And if you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Until next time.